At Maximus, we are focused on the future of federal government. We deliver mission-driven innovation at speed and scale, turning insights into impact. We are a top systems integrator and leading provider of transformative technology services, digitally enabled customer experiences, and clinical health services. We help agencies navigate obstacles and anticipate the unexpected by becoming more agile, empowered, effective, and ready for what lies ahead. We are Maximus, moving people forward. Learn more at Maximus.com federal. You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMarkU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by public sector executive and global government thought leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. You know, in government, we've built its own sort of compensation structure and laddering, and um, that's all going to break in this new world. And I think they're not going to be specifically attached to just one career. So the ability to see everyone in the supply chain across agencies, being able to move them around is really going to be what we're going to see in the future. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. As we've all seen, labor shortages are causing many problems across industries, but when U.S. government jobs lie vacant, it ripples through the fabric of American life. Think long security lines at airports, stalled highway construction projects, difficulty scheduling an appointment at the local DMV, or teacher shortages at public schools. Many people have already felt the impact of these workforce deficits, and the problem is poised to get worse. Increase federal funding to upgrade the nation's infrastructure, boost supply chain resilience, and respond to rising geopolitical tensions promises to create new civil service jobs at a time when the public sector is falling even further behind the private sector in the talent race. For every 10 government jobs posted from July 2021 through August 2022, Roughly four were filled, the worst rate of the 10 major economic sectors tracked by the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. Closing the talent gap is a top priority for senior leaders we've spoken to across all levels of government. Although the public sector has unique challenges in attracting and retaining civil servants, it also has unique strengths it could leverage because what workers want from a job is really changing. In today's episode, we're going to discuss some of the changes in the government workforce, trends to look at, plus ways you can redistribute the talent you already have in your organization to shore up some of the gaps you might have. Joining me in this discussion is Kelly Stephen Ways, Head of Workforce Innovation at ServiceNow, and she's also the author of the book, The Inside Gig, How Sharing Untapped Talent Across Boundaries Unleashes Organizational Capacity. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much, Brian. Great to be here. It's perfect timing to have you here. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. You very recently wrote a book called The Inside Gig, How Sharing Untapped Talent Across Boundaries Unleashes Organizational Capacity. And, and as you and I had been discussing, this is a perfect time because in the, today's climate, being able to maximize the employees that you currently have is definitely something that companies, 
governments should should be thinking about. Tell us a little bit about the impetus um, in terms of writing this book. And I'm sure you couldn't have predicted the the environment we're in right now, but it's probably something every co- co- or company should be looking at all the time, right? Absolutely. I think that um, certainly the pandemic became a massive tailwind uh, for something like this. But the impetus for writing the inside gig really came because uh, for so long, I had in my head this vision of agile workplace where companies could visualize all of the skills of their organization and tap this discretionary effort, democratize work, help people um, sort of state what their interests were and what type of work they'd like to contribute without ever leaving their home base. I was one of those employees that was bored after six months in a job. And, and I was so much more than the job that I was, that I currently held. And I said, well, you know, how does the company even know what I'm capable of doing if they just assume, you know, gee, I'm the CHRO. So I know benefits and compensation and recruiting when I had done corporate communications, I had started a retail company, I had, you know, done marketing and sales and so many other things, which, you know, skills were the common denominator. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, organizations just don't know all the talent gold they're sitting on, and they certainly don't mine it. I think that's a really good point, because a lot of the, a lot of the people that I'll mentor, as they as they ask questions around how can they expand their career and do those things, one of the first things I'll say is it's kind of up to them to put themselves into situations and projects. So they're learning what the rest of the organization is doing outside of their sphere and seeing where they can add value there. And and sometimes it's easier said than done, but really the onus starts to become on the employee as well, not just the organization. Do you have any advice for, for people that, maybe want to expand their role very similarly to what you were talking about within their own organization, any, any tips that they can take away for them to find ways to expand that role on their own? Well, I think, you know, be the first person to raise your hand on something that scares you. (laughs) Maybe no one else wants to take that assignment, but you know, secretly that you have some capabilities um, that you could actually do quite a good job at that. I think one of the problems though is about, you know, equity and inclusion. I think, you know, everyone has a Dunbar number. You can only know 150 people. Any one person can only know 150 people. And I think it enters a lot of bias in that equation because we tend to tap the people we know over and over and over. And so there's a whole hidden workforce, uh, people that are just not, you know, necessarily well networked. And so I think we, we do have to use technology to, to surface and help people find and connect to these opportunities where they can contribute. So there has to be some digital assist for people to network, particularly when you get into some of these really large you know, you know, government agencies and then cross agency, it's hard to know all the opportunities that might be there to contribute. When you talk about technology, you're talking about third party things like LinkedIn, or are you talking about internal to the organization that maybe te- there's technology that they can be leveraging to kind of expand their view, to expand their footprint? I'm talking about the inside. There is so much talent gold that organizations are sitting on that they don't mind. 
and they don't mind because they don't, they cannot visualize that skills supply chain. So today we have things like AI, artificial intelligence and machine learning, that if we have skills, you know, in profiles, uh, we have their aspirations, you know, the skills they want to learn. And we can actually use technology to match people to opportunities that they would be interested in and then be able to digitally tap them on the shoulder when those opportunities are available. And you can imagine with a hybrid workforce or people working at home some of the time, um, this is a huge, a huge opportunity. Um, and, you know, as we face some of these macro trends, the headwinds of inflation and, and automation at times and the sort of business model disruptions that are going on. And perhaps in you know, public sector, you've got a whole audience of public servants who are in those roles because they believe in the social enterprise, they believe in doing something good. They are natural contributors. And if we don't tap them, you know, they, they, there could be no um, you know, real uh, value proposition for them to stay as a public servant. One of the words you used in there is exactly where my brain went around talent because you you talked about skills, but one of the things that I think is a big trend happening right now, especially with the with the emergence of all these these new technologies, new innovations, is reskilling, right? So you mentioned AI or automation. There's a lot of new technology out there that governments really um, not just dipping their toes into, but really jumping jumping into full force. But they don't have a complete workforce to be able to leverage all the value out of it. So they're obviously trying to upskill and reskill some of these employees. What, what are some of the ways that you think governments can find and locate people beyond just the ones that have said, hey, I'd like to learn more about AI or I'd like to learn more about this and that, but some of the, some of the, the people that they know or they can identify as as maybe high achievers or people that are have the ability to kind of progress well beyond what they're currently doing, but haven't flagged that interest. What are ways that that these government agencies can locate these these talented individuals internally? Well, if there is you know sort of a profile of record um, that can you know state and this is an inside, not a LinkedIn, but inside you know an agency that says, hey, I you know, here are the skills that I have, here are some of the things that I aspire to learn, that information can be tagged to opportunities for, for work. And those works can be gigs or projects. They don't necessarily have to be a full role shift. And I think, you know, particularly in um, public sector, I think we, you know, we often have, even in one sort of city government, we have agencies who are operating in silos and there's probably a lot of great talent in some of those silos that could work, you know, be the, the right person to work in that other agency, but they just don't have visibility in the entire ecosystem of public servants. And I think that if we're able to expose by using artificial intelligence, who has the capability, we can proactively tap them, not wait for them to raise their hand. And I think that the the, the proactive nature of being able to tap people also is a way to keep them engaged and to keep them, you know, we ultimately want to keep them as a public servant, right? So why not just have them siloed into one agency? 
Yeah, I think you hit it on the head right there. It's it's beyond just keeping them engaged. It's it's keeping them, keeping those talented individuals in government has become so challenging when they're competing with the private sector. We've we've talked a lot about the government workforce. Why don't we level set a little bit? So, uh, in terms of the state of the government workforce as a whole, and I'm talking about um, U.S. federal government right now, what are some of the things that you're seeing? Some of the trends that you're seeing are, that are really impacting. Um, kind of changes the health of the workforce, et cetera. What are some of those things you're, you're kind of have your, your finger on the pulse on? Well, I think that there's, there's definitely technology obsolescence, right? This is, this is a reality. So I think if we, you know, there was a great article by Deloitte, you know, about the future of service and government workers. Um, and I, I'm not recalling uh, the exact time that came out, but you know, uh, the future public service worker is going to be very tech, tech savvy and connected and mobile, uh, available to work from anywhere, you know, highly educated, you know, as, you know, trying to put sort of trust back into government. I mean, people get into this because they want to be a servant. And so I think there's, there's that value proposition that pulls them is, what can I do to make a difference? That's why people are getting into it. So, um, you know, a high degree of autonomy is, is what the future is going to look like. So being able to work really independently and not in a hierarchy, like we, we have literally built, uh, you know, in government, we've built its own sort of compensation structure and laddering and, um, that's all going to break in this new world. And I think, you know, um, they're not going to be specifically attached to just one career. So the ability to see everyone in the supply chain across agencies, being able to move them around is really going to be what we're going to see in the future. That, you said something really interesting there because you're right. They have built built a hierarchy for better or for worse a lot of that comes from equity, transparency, um, diversity, et cetera. But you said it's going to break. What do you think, if you could kind of prognosticate a little bit, what do you think it's going to be replaced with? I think that there's going to be um, leadership is going to come at all levels. I think it's going to be dependent. Like we've seen through crises that there are certain people that you've got to lean, certain people with the expertise that might be four levels down. They're not the person that has the leadership title, right? That one person can't be all omniscient. So we're going to be pushing sort of, you know, certainly whatever the next crisis is, who is the person we're going to pull up to speak to that? Who's the person we're going to look to to lead us through that? That can come from any level, right? So I think we're going to break what were the traditional levels of protocol, kind of like the way the army, you know, works. I mean, you would never talk to, you know, four levels up high in command for direction. You go to the highest level. That's not going to work when we have to respond in an agile way. I mean, nobody saw COVID happening. Nobody in government would have said we're all going to work at home for four months. I mean, that was just unheard of. So we have to have, we have to push some decision-making to the people that have the expertise or capability to lead us through it. So you talked about autonomy being part of that future workforce. Do you think the 
and very, very much specific to the federal government, obviously. Do you see the footprint expanding well beyond D.C.? Uh, obviously, there, there's federal workers spread throughout the country, but there's a very dense population of federal employees within within the Washington, D.C. metro area. Do you think they'll be able to leverage this this work from anywhere type of uh, type of approach that they've been able to harness during COVID to maybe bring in new and more talented people? Um, I mean, I, I can think of Sil- Silicon Valley, right? You could reach out exactly. to people out in California. Yeah, that could that could certainly change the way people approach things and think about things in the federal government. So, so do you see that changing? I see that changing dramatically because we're going to break down all of those barriers. I also see. I mean, originally, people got into public service, even from the private sector, right? They weren't career government, you know, public servants. Um, And I think with the ability to break down, hey, you need to be in the area and go to the office, we're going to open the opportunities, particularly for Gen Y and Z, who are very motivated uh, to be, to have social impact. And if we make it attractive because we bring the technology up to speed and we give people mobility, I think we're going to see more people drawn in to um, public service. So, yes, I think the best person for the job for a, an opportunity in, you know, Minnesota could be in California. And, you know, the ability to, to reach much broader than we have before means that we could have actually more of a positive impact. I mean, you talked about the type of work they're doing there. I think the last administration really tried to address that in in the presidential management agenda with the the notion around low value to high value work, right? But it it felt more of like a notion and less around something that had teeth, which I think you could probably say with a lot of um, kind of well-meaning uh, policies that there's not there's no there's no teeth to really make sure this really impacts it. But have you seen that mindset shift around getting employees shifted into a higher value work, a more strategic level of work, Absolutely. be a driver to recruiting talent? Okay. Absolutely. So? Because, you know, let's take you know service now because uh, this is the world that I'm living in. You know, we are automating what used to be, you know, what traditionally was tier one work, right? What could be very administrative so that we have knowledge workers focused on more strategic issues. You know, when, when we've gone through crises for, as we have over the last two years, we need the best brains to solve these problems. We don't want them mired in administration of, of paper, or, you know, uh, administrative tasks. We really need to, to make big decisions, make tremendous progress in key areas, and we don't have the time anymore uh, between, uh, you know, what's happening on the innovation side and what needs to sort of where the rubber needs to meet the road. And so I think to the extent we can move faster, we can move people to work that is much more strategic in nature, um, we end up moving a lot faster. There's another trend within the government workforce that I think has been around for a while and people had anticipated would would hit 
maybe earlier in, in the economies d during different periods of the past decade or so has really impacted this. But the silver tsunami, the idea that the the some of the older generation within government was all of a sudden just going to make this mass exodus. And I feel like it's been much more of a trickle. Um, but what has been really cool to see is there are younger folks, maybe in the millennial generation, that have been pushed into uh, more senior leadership roles, even, even at the CIO level, to be able to change the culture and change the view and change how the organization is leveraging technology. Is that something you're, you're seeing and you think we'll continue to yeah. see? Over the next yeah, next decade or so, I absolutely do. I think it's a different generation. Look, the the government. If we think of, about the government worker of twenty thirty five, right? What what is it, it going to look like? How do we prepare for that? I mean, um, the government workforce will likely um, consist of very technologically advanced generations with different employment expectations. They are going. They, these workers are less attached to career tenure, um, which I know my parents would work at the same place for 25, 30 years, right? And I think that that generally was the way it, it was. But they're going to expect to work um, on short-term, specialized projects, moved around, being able to be, you know, gaining a lot of skills in their toolkits, they're, they're going to apply innovative technology to solve problems. So the future of public service workers is going to be interested in more meaningful work um, and with tangible evidence that they're making a social impact. And so we need to prepare for a, a, a workforce like that. Um, and, you know, not just, and, you know, we got them into whatever G9 and now that they, they'll be here till G15, right? It's, it's not going to be like that anymore. Let me ask you this then for, in your role at service now, you're seeing these changes. And with that, as you're trying to reach these, these people in government, um, message them with with some of the things they should know, right? I mean, oftentimes government will come to private sector, but I feel like the message then has has changed. I mean, it had to change, right? It's it's very different than when you're talking to a, a 55, 60-year-old around, and not to say they don't understand technology, but maybe it's a different type of risk aversion, right? Or maybe it's a different understanding or a different prioritization. Maybe their sole, sole thought is, security and maybe they don't understand maybe where cloud has brought security right things of that nature whereas a millennial might come in and just say oh no this is this is all secure by design we're beyond that conversation we're getting to the next level of value how have how have you seen it change and how have you changed that narrative when you're approaching these government leaders well i think you know it is about generational experience right i think some um, I know that I'm in Gen X, right? So I, it's not, I'm not a digital native. I had to sort of adopt uh, technology along the way. I mean, I'm old enough to remember going to work and not having a laptop and not bringing work home with me and not having the internet or a phone or any of those things. But if you're, you know, a millennial or if you're, you know, one of these younger generations, you can't remember a time where technology wasn't in your life um, or you touched a screen to get things done. Um, it's just that's the way that. So I think, you know, 
I think approaching, you know, the, the government workers of my own sort of generation is, you know, how can you prepare for a world where you're going to have to communicate and connect differently? You're going to have to state your employer value proposition, proposition very differently than you're used to. You may have multi-generations in your workforce at the same time. We are going to be living longer. So how can you appeal across people that are have less risk aversion to those that want new and exciting opportunities? It is, it is going to take some agility. It's going to take some willingness to change the paradigms that we've been living in um, and to allow for a lot more democratization at work, meaning a lot more choice, a lot more mobility and a lot more use of technology to connect people. And, and, you know, the other thing I will say, is it's also about transparency. I think we traditionally, you know, there was only a few people that could see certain information and there was sort of, you know, behind the curtain, um, a lot of data and details. I think that now um, we need to, we're just going to be forced into more transparency and the generations that are younger are very used to transparency. You, you brought up data and I think that's really important because, um, obviously you've touched on technology and being able to get view into some of the talent, but I think data is something that government is finally, finally realizing they have so much of that they can harness the value of um, and and try to get it out of those those silos. Where are you seeing, especially beyond just identification of talent, where are you seeing these uh, these chicos or these these HR leaders or workforce leaders leveraging data to make their organizations better? Um, well, to be honest with you, I I'm still learning about you know I'm still a student of public sector. I. Um, I think that, you know, I'm excited to meet some of the Chicos that are looking at, in fact, I'm just starting to be introduced to so many of them that, that I think are, you know, hamstrung with, with not having the right technical solutions. Um, I think they see the opportunity, uh, particularly about, you know, um, the, the data that can be mined, um, I think to drive more inclusion. And, um, I think they just, uh, there's so much silos still there. There's so many, there's so much data sitting agency by agency, even within one local area that, um, it seems like a big problem to solve. Maybe let me ask you this way. Then I think there's, there's always areas where government can learn from private sector. And I think I say this too, where private sector can learn from government, especially, uh, especially when it comes to, to managing a lot of these, these security issues, et cetera. Um, where have you seen private sector organizations do a really good job of, of harvesting data where you think government can really learn from this, right? Open up these silos and, and leverage the data for, for the greater good of the workforce. Well, certainly I've been on the, you know, I, I've been in the talent space for the last 15 or 20 years. So that's where a lot of my experience is. Um, you know, I think that if we take skills information, for example, skills data exists in so many different systems. So the ability to bring that, you know, certainly to an experience layer where it can be offered through 
whatever, you know, uh, insights or actions that managers or employees need to get done. Talk about pushing decisions to the front line. They need information and insights to be able to do that. I think that HR data in particular, even private sector has been sitting on so much data, you know, about if we, if we want to move to more personalized, customized, more consumer-like experiences, you know, marketing's been doing that for a long time with data. Um, but we haven't really thought about how could we, in the right ways, you know, in a technology-for-good way, give people more personalized, customized experience by leveraging all the siloed data in the back end. I think that's, that's an important aspect and something I... I kind of entering more of my field of expertise is around kind of creating those better employee experiences because it's obviously a massive focus right now within government around citizen experience or customer experience, right? How can we deliver a better, uh, more satisfying experience for the citizen? And in my opinion, I think that starts with the employee, right? Very similarly to where we talked about um, that shift from low value to high value work, a more engaged employee uh, who's getting a better employee experience is going to deliver a better experience ultimately to the customer. Um, is, so I that think that's absolutely that's, true, Brian. That is, yeah. I mean, think about when, you know, I used to be in the retail industry uh, for about 13 years and, you know, we would talk about that, how we treat our employees is going to translate to how they treat the customer on, you know, in that interaction in our stores um, on the front lines. So, um, you know, I worked for Nike. Nike, you know, had a brand promise. People came to work for Nike for a reason, right? It, it sort of was bigger. It was a big brand and had a lot, you know, of promise behind it. And people were proud of to work for that company. So the expectations were high. So we needed them to have a great experience. Um, so that they could represent our brand in the communities. Um, you know, if we were doing running events or if we were selling them a pair of shoes, um, it, it all translated. So uh, when you're looking, I mean, you talked about having uh, a, a lot of depth in, in talent. When you're looking to recruit new employees, right? Where in your in your in your opinion, where do you start? Where do you start looking? Is it, I, I've had, um, I had Mike Sorelli on the, on the show uh, about a year ago. He wrote the book, The Talent War. And, and one of the things he talked about was recruiting for talent, teaching for skill, right? It's, it's not necessarily just right. about their skill set. where I think government has really focused on that empirically. It's just been, hey, what can you do? Instead of trying to identify people that are curious, that are, that want to learn and want to stay engaged and be better. Um, what, what's, what's your advice in terms of seeking out talent from a government perspective? Where do you think they can leverage some of this mindset to, to create a better workforce? Well, it's, you know, one of the, the methods that I used as, as a CHRO and, and you can apply it to even, you know, in this case to public sector is be willing to hire people outside of the traditional silo, right? Hire people in HR that didn't come from HR, hire, hire people in finance that didn't come from finance. Because if you think about, you know, what are the transferable skill sets that people have 
if they're willing to learn and they're motivated and they, you know, are, they have some of the characteristics around ability to collaborate, ability to learn fast. And I say, learn, unlearn, relearn, like reimagine <laughs> themselves. Like those are the people that are going to stand the test of time. The great athletes that you can bring into your organization. And, you know, I think we're going to bring back a lot of more rotational programs. I have a, you know, um, a senior in college who's trying to figure out what his first job's going to look like. And one of the things he has said to me is, you know, I'd really like to go to a company that might move me around for the first couple of years, you know, um, and give me different experiences um, so that I can figure out what the best fit is for me or where I can contribute. So we're going to, we need to look for those adjacent or transferable skills where people might, the non-obvious people for roles. That, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we've seen, especially within the government, um, where they do the rotations, especially, uh, especially internally, where they do rotations at the SCS level and, and bring in different leaders to, to try to drive for a short period of time. But they've also done these rotations in uh, private sector into public sector, which I also think has, has helped a lot. So I'm hoping that's the type, those are the type of programs that can expand and we can continue to see sharing on both ends, right? Because I mentioned that there is so much that the private sector can learn from, from government. I think a lot of that is how do you navigate the inner workings of government? So if you're in there and you're working through some of the bureaucracy and you're helping helping these people change, but maybe understand it more, you can bring that knowledge back to the private sector and say, hey, we can help them better if we approach it this way. So That's I think right. that collective that collective information is important. Kelly, I, I've appreciated the time today. Any final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners? You know, I think there is, I, I love that last comment about being able to send people um, from, you know, private se sector and a public and public into private, it's kind of goes with my uh, mobility theme here is that sometimes, you know, a la human centered design, when you walk to the other side and you experience it, you have enlightenment. I think we need to open the lines of talent between those, those two sectors um, because we can learn so much from each other and certainly you know, public sector can learn maybe a lot about building a brand and a face to the communities um, and how to to give great experiences to people in their communities. And I think that people inside private sector can learn how to be great servants and servant leaders. Um, and, you know, we know there's a ton of pressure in private sector to build a, you know, a, an enterprise that stands for something and has a great face to the community. So a lot we can learn from each other. Yeah, especially, I, I, like, how you, I like how you said that it's really about kind of establishing that mission, right? That, that servant mission and, and standing by it. So I you know I can appreciate that. Kelly, thank you again for the time. This is, good. this is a great conversation. I know I learned a lot and I think our listeners did too. Thank you so much, Brian. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can check out more episodes of the show by heading over to govexec.com backslash podcast, wherever you access yours. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Chittistrayb. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.